to Inside the Castle, the podcast that goes behind castle doors to have real conversations with real people about solving the nation's toughest challenges. I'm one of your hosts for today, Kat McCain. And I'm Angela Frymuth. Today's guests are Todd Bridges, the lead for the National Engineering with Nature program, Julie Beagle, the Environmental Planning Section Chief for San Francisco District, and Danielle Szymanski, the Ecologist and Project Manager for Baltimore District. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks. Great to be here. Thanks. Thanks for having Thanks. us. For today's episode, we are learning more about engineering with nature, but before we get started, we want to know more about our guest, starting with Todd and then Julie and Danielle. Tell us a bit about yourself. And how did you come to work for the Corps of Engineers? Well, thanks for the invitation to participate in this podcast and to get the, the word out more about engineering with nature, Angela Kat. I've been with the Army Corps of Engineers for 29 years. I needed a job after graduate school and applied for a job with the Corps of Engineers. My wife was six weeks pregnant. I really needed a job. I honestly didn't know very much about the Corps of Engineers when I applied, but it's been a great ride, I must say. The whole time I've worked at the Engineer Research and Development Center in a variety of capacities. For the last 15 years, I've been the Army's Senior Research Scientist for Environmental Science, and for the last 11 years, been leading the Engineering with Nature Initiative. It's great to be here. This is Julie. Thanks for having me. So I have the opposite story. I've been with the Corps for eight months. I joined in February of this year. I'm a geomorphologist, both in the fluvial parts of our watersheds and the estuarine parts. And I've been working in California for the last 17 years on process-based restoration of our ecosystems, on how our area in California can adapt to climate change using nature as much as possible. I've worked for small nonprofits and large research institutes in the nonprofit and the private sector and had been following the Engineering with Nature program for a long time because it was really compatible with a lot of the work that we had been doing in Northern California and the Bay Area with many partners. Then found the opportunity to come to the core during this pandemic and try to impact the way that the San Francisco district can start to use Engineering with Nature principles across all of our programs and projects. And so I feel really excited to bring my knowledge from the rest of the community that's working on these types of projects and integrate that with how the Corps has been doing it. And it's been great to connect with Todd and his team and we can talk more about the San Francisco Proving Ground in a little bit. Thanks, so I'm Danielle Szymanski and I'm sort of in the middle between Todd and Julie. I've been working for the Corps of Engineers for 10 years now and I work in Baltimore District in the Operations Division in the Navigation Section. I primarily work for the Shallow Draft Navigation Projects. So in Baltimore District, that's pretty much everything, uh, all of the channels outside of Baltimore Harbor Deep Draft. Um, along with that, as an ecologist, I also do a lot of work uh, with beneficial use of dredge material and working on a lot of planning studies, sediment sampling, uh, oyster restoration projects, primarily through using beneficial use as our main way of placing dredge material over the years in Baltimore District. Um, I've slowly been working with engineering with nature over the decade that it has been a program and also since I've been with the Corps. 
specifically got involved with engineering with nature in around 2017, 2018, working on the Swan Island project in the Chesapeake Bay um, and involving a lot of different agencies between NOAA and Maryland Department of Natural Resources and U.S. Fish and Wildlife and a couple other agencies and really started to work with engineering with nature closely during that time, having continuing with other projects as well, and recently just started as the engineering with nature coastal implementation practice lead to be able to help with three other members throughout the Corps to help bring engineering with nature to all districts across the Corps to be able to make it more accessible and share this knowledge between all different aspects and divisions, be it operations, engineering, planning to be able to bring that to everyone at a ground practice level. Thanks for taking the time to join us today. And as Angie mentioned earlier, we are wanting to learn more about the Engineering with Nature program. Angie and I have both worked along the Upper Mississippi River, and so I've heard of it and she's heard of it. But to our listeners who have not, Todd, what is Engineering with Nature and why is it important? We started this effort in 2010, formally, with the recognition that we need to find ways in which engineering can support nature and nature can support engineering. That kind of in a nutshell is what engineering with nature is as, a, as an approach, if you will, to delivering infrastructure. And there are great examples of this practice that within the Corps of Engineers that go back almost 100 years, in fact. But what we wanted to do with this initiative is to draw from those great examples of practice, learn from them, and then build a capacity to expand our ability to deliver projects that do that, where engineering supports nature, nature supports engineering, because that, I believe, ultimately is how we're going to deliver sustainable systems, systems that endure, that expand value through investment in infrastructure. And so that's where we began, and it's a whole range of activities uh, that someone who's interested can learn a lot more about by just going to engineeringwithnature.org, our website. And it includes research, but includes pilot and full-scale applications, a whole range of communication activities and partnering. And we've done 50-plus workshops over the last 11 years involving folks from the core and from sister agencies and from the, with the private sector and academia and nonprofits and such, sharing best practice and ideas and thoughts on how to expand this kind of work so that in the future, as I said in the past, so that in the future, the exceptional projects of the past can be commonplace in our future practice. And it's important for a whole variety of reasons. Nature's got to be more of an integral part of solutions for us. I mean, we can, I think most of us can kind of see that there are serious problems and gaps in trying to, to force our will upon natural systems, to try to conquer, if you will, natural systems as a way of, of occupying the landscape. And so how do, we, how do we kind of partner with nature, humanity, if you will, and nature in the future? for that explanation, Todd. And it sounds like this program provides a more sustainable delivery of economic, social, and environmental benefits associated with infrastructure, but it seems like we're not quite there to have it in every project. And so engineering with nature is different than traditional approaches to the core project. How are you incorporating EWN into USACE culture? 
That, that's a great question. First, it, it recognizes that there is a, such a thing as a use-based culture. I think we all who have worked for the Corps of Engineers, whether for eight months, 10 years, or 29 years, we, we understand that there is a culture within the organization, and every organization does have one. And within the Corps of Engineers, I think we're a technical organization. We're also an organization that's informed by, can I say, engineering culture, which puts a, an emphasis upon standards of practice, you know, formalized standards of practice. This is how you do projects of type X. Uh, but at the same time, we also understand increasingly, and it's certainly one of the chief points of priority, if you will, that we have to innovate. To use his word, we have to revolutionize. So there's a tension there between a precedent-based or a standards-based culture and business practice and this need to revolutionize and innovate. And this is a space that is, if you will, occupied deliberately by engineering with nature. We want to facilitate a responsible change, you know, this infusion of new practice in this area of incorporating nature into projects. It seems like a sensible thing to do. And it's different from, I'm gonna say like a 1970s model. Hey, we're gonna go build project X here and the environmental damage we create, we will mitigate. I think we want to move to a place where maybe mitigation is not even what, it's not even necessary anymore. You know, can we see a future like that? Mitigation in that sense, not even necessary that you've incorporated the natural system into the project to the degree that this, the M word isn't even part of the lexicon of how government and the private sector do business. Now, that may seem somewhat fanciful, but that, that, that's kind of the idea. As a biologist myself, I, I like that the, the culture shift. I think that'll be great as we move forward and we pivot and change to become more innovative. And just like for me, I'm a biologist, biologist in St. Louis, and I heard we are one of the six proving grounds for engineering with nature. So, Julie, I know San Francisco is another one. So, what is the purpose of these um, proving grounds, and how did the district even become one? That's a great question. So, as part of this engineering with nature effort that Todd has been leading, he's building out a big team across the country. And so, that involves the practice leads that Danielle was talking about, but it also designates proving grounds as different districts step up to say, hey, we want to participate in this culture change. We're already using engineering with nature in many of our projects, and we want to be out in front and showing the core and also over the rest of our partners, how do we do this work? How do we beneficially reuse material for wetlands on a regular basis, not just one on a, a one-off basis? How do we use floodplains when we do riverine FRM projects to create multiple benefits? And so it's it's districts who are either already doing that, and a lot of districts are and have been for a long time, or who have made a commitment to say, we want to change this culture, we want to educate our staff, we want to work with partners in a collaborative science-based way to be able to provide these projects that we know our communities want and need, especially with the demands of climate change. And that's another thing to add to what Todd was saying is that engineering with nature provides more resiliency over time. So. These are features and efforts that absorb the energy that we're going to see from increased precipitation events, from increased storminess and waves. These, uh, there's an adaptive quality to working with the power of nature, not fighting against it, which we know with climate change coming and already here, we need as much help as possible. So 
the San Francisco district stepped up to become a proving ground um, at the end of 2020. And I got a call from our DPM right before I started saying, you know, hey, you're coming on board. We just stepped up to be a proving ground. Let's figure out what this means. We don't know what it means exactly. We've been doing beneficial reuse in the Bay Area for a long time and in the San Francisco district. But the goal here is to work with the engineering with nature network across the country and really infuse and integrate these concepts into all stages of our processes. So like starting with the planning process, how do we integrate engineering with nature as a part of all of the types of planning that we do at the beginning? How is it integrated from the beginning? You could do these five nature-based measures as part of your alternatives. Um, how does that stay on the table from the beginning? How does it get integrated as you move into other phases of the project? How do we work with engineers to make sure that we can adjust our models to be able to calculate the impacts, the benefits, a floodplain rather than a flood wall, for example. How do we change our operations? How can we change our reservoir operations? Is that possible in certain areas to benefit fish populations downstream and do things a little bit differently, but still within the range of, you know, of our core missions? And I think a biggest piece of it that I'm learning a lot how to talk about is, you know, we have our single purpose authorization, but we know that in the future, every project needs to be multi-benefit, even if it's an FRM project. So one example where we're really testing these ideas in the district, San Francisco district is a project on the upper Guadalupe River, which is in San Jose, it goes through Silicon Valley. It's an urbanized stream, it's been built up to the edge and it's something that's been planned for decades. It's a GRR, so it's gone through multiple phases of planning already. And this is an opportunity to really think about it differently. We know that flood walls just constrict the water, drive incision, drive a bank erosion. So how can we think about giving the river more room in the places that we have availability for that? Letting the flow spread out, slow down, access the floodplain, lower flood stage and also provide habitat for endangered salmonids, which run up and down that stream, even though it's in downtown San Jose, one of the biggest cities in our country. And so it's really trying to get at how do you provide FRM benefits? We know we have this box we need to stay in, but all the multiple benefits that we can get from thinking a little bit differently and engineering a little bit differently. So that's what we're really excited about pushing in the San Francisco district. We've got pilot efforts that we've identified like the Guadalupe River, like some of other, like the Pajaro River, where there's an opportunity to really benefit disadvantaged communities. And that's also changing the culture. How do we make sure that we're not just doing projects where the land values are so much higher than in other places? And so um, the Pajaro is a really great example of levee setbacks. The same concept, spreading out and slowing down the flow, providing better habitat benefits, but also protecting disadvantaged communities from catastrophic flooding. We also are a big dredging district. There's a lot of opportunities for beneficial reuse and working with our partners um, is one of the biggest challenges and also opportunities in engineering with nature. One of the core principles is collaboration, science-based approaches to provide kind of new pathways forward. Um, and so that's another thing that we're really excited about piloting in the San Francisco district. And I'll just give one example of that. We have an opportunity to try new types of beneficial placement of material. So we have a long history in San Francisco of doing direct placement on Hamilton and on old airfield that was a subsided Balin that we've brought up to intertidal elevations to make it more resilient to climate change and provide habitat for endangered species that live 
along the margins of our bay. That's really expensive. And those are issues there that we need to work on. We're looking into cheaper cost effective ways of placing sediment in the nearshore environment. So that the tides and currents can bring that material on shore to help marshes accrete and keep pace with sea level rise, but also keep our costs down. And that's to me, a great example of working with the power of nature instead of fighting against it. Let's let the water do the work and take the sediment where we want it to go and also get the benefits that we want for both us and our entire region. Thanks for sharing that with us, Julie. And I think it's great to hear these examples of thinking outside of the box because you're right, as we move forward, the core is going to have to think outside of the box and make sure that we are applying multidiscipline solutions to our projects. Uh, Danielle, I know that you are the, the national EWN practice lead. And so can you share a little bit about your experiences um, that you've had in this role? Sure, thanks for asking about it. Back in the spring of this year of 2021, the Engineering with Nature program put together uh, a collection of four individuals as the implementation practice leads. So there are two coastal practice implementation leads and there are two riverine coastal practice leads. Um, between the four of us, there is one that is on the biology ecology end and one that's on the engineering end. Since we are engineering with nature, we want to be able to make sure that we can get all aspects of the topic and the project covered. So we have one of each, one engineer and one biologist ecologist in each section. There's myself and Elizabeth Godsey that are the coastal implementation leads and David Crane and Eddie Brower are the riverine practice leads. And together, the four of us are actually really taking what Julie was just talking about and being able to make it more accessible for all districts across the core. So as Julie was saying that she's got a lot of projects, they're running pilot projects. They're looking into how can they make flood risk management projects more sustainable? How can they be able to get these projects so engineering with nature is not just an afterthought, how is it the beginning of the process? How is it, this is how we are designing the project, not, oh, we need to add something in at the very end, let's try to throw something together. No, we want this to be, as Todd was also saying, we want this to be the culture change. We want this to be how we create these projects in the future. So being able to use these, myself and the three other practice leads, we wanna be able to make engineering with nature practices accessible for everybody, for districts that maybe don't have the experience with using beneficial use or engineering with nature before. Maybe they're just starting out being able to try some of these pilot projects, but they don't know where to start. They don't have that background. They don't have any other employees or different divisions that maybe have worked with this before, or they don't know where to reach out. Uh, with these implementation leads, we wanna develop an engineering with nature cadre. So we wanna be able to create a hub of information where people can easily be able to get access to individuals that may have worked on similar types of areas or research that may have been out there that maybe people weren't aware of before. Have contacts for people to be able to reach out to say, I maybe have some issues with real estate in this type of area. Does anybody else have experience in something like this that I might be able to reach out to and get these interconnections and get this web of information between everybody. So engineering with nature doesn't seem as far out as a goal. It can be more accessible to everybody and we want to make it so it's accessible at the 
project manager level, at the designer engineer level. So it gets in at that early stage to be able to make it just easily incorporated in part of the project. And you can get over those hurdles that you might see in design in cost estimation or in regulatory issues to be able to get those out of the way or to be able to get in contact and get that help from others that have gone over those problems before to be able to make it more accessible. So overall it's to make it and the implementation practice leads want to be able to make it more accessible for everybody and develop this cadre and this network and hub of everyone to share those ideas across USACE and be able to get that interaction across the entire core to be able to share those ideas. Add one thing to that because I think they're doing such a good job and it's really exciting that this cadre is being formed. The other day, Elizabeth Godsey, who Danielle mentioned, presented some of her successes in the Mobile Bay uh, Regional Sediment Management Program that they've accomplished over the last 10 years to those of us in the San Francisco district who are figuring out how we can get more beneficial use done in the Bay. And just hearing her lessons learned, understanding the process that she had gone through, trying to translate that to how can we kind of change our approach a little bit was so helpful. And I think that's the type of engagement that I'm really excited about. And it's so wonderful to have these experts among us that we can call on and say, hey, how did you do this? And how can we get the word out so that those successes and challenges can be shared? And we know that there's already a lot of different groups that are out there. Just looking through the core in general, you've got regional sediment management that was already brought up. You've got different coastal working groups, riverine working groups. You've got a whole bunch of different groups that are already established that might already use parts of engineering with nature as part of how they're developed and what they're trying to be able to achieve. We don't want to reinvent the wheel. We don't want to completely bring up a new group and just say, oh, we're going to be able to bring that, uh, do this, we're going to start something brand new. We know it's already slightly in most of these groups already, so we want to be able to leverage out with those groups and meet up with them and discuss with them and say, how do you already implement engineering with nature again, and how can you benefit more from being able to bring it more into your projects? Where do you see your needs? Where do you want to increase your use of engineering with nature in part to these projects or what problems do you need that need to be solved and reach out to them to be able to boost up what they're already using with engineering with nature again to make it more of the forefront instead of an afterthought for any of their projects and their processes. I love hearing all of that, the cadre and the, you know, training and helping each other across the core. And I love hearing that partnering within the core. Um, and I also understand, like, obviously with our studies, we have to partner with external, you know, entities. So, Danielle, in your experience, what are some of the specific partners that you've, that you've had success with partnering with, as well as who else is out there that you would like to in the future to continue moving this engineering with nature into the future? Sure. Thanks for asking. So, there's several agencies and their federal, state, non-government organizations that just Baltimore District itself have been able to partner with. So just through my own personal experience, um, we have partnered with NOAA and Fish and Wildlife Service, Maryland Department of Natural Resources, University of Maryland, the Audubon Society, the U.S. Naval Academy. We've partnered with a lot of those for a lot of the projects that I end up working on we do in the dredging world. Um, we have a lot of 
project funds that can go directly to the placement of the material, but a lot of the monitoring and a lot of the external work we do is setting up the design, is set, making sure we're meeting all the needs of these other agencies, meeting of all the needs of maybe some research, research components that other universities might need or other organizations are looking for. And also on the monitoring end, being able to see how the site is working afterwards. We want to, as we've mentioned before, especially Julie did, the wanting to make a site adaptable, wanting to be able to make it work with the environment. So we want to be able to monitor and measure these sites afterwards to see, learn maybe what we could have done different, what is working, what's not, how is this new habitat or new creation fitting in with the existing environment? How is it reacting to it? And how is the environment itself reacting to that? So being able to partner with these other agencies has been wonderful on both ends of the project, be it on the beginning in the forefront for the design or afterwards in the monitoring that then can lead directly into improving future projects. You know, Danielle, I think you could illustrate this maybe with just a brief summary of what's going on at Swan Island, because I, I think it's such a great example of different areas of government, federal and state, and other organizations contributing to exactly the combination of activities you described. Sure. So the Swan Island project occurred, the dredging occurred in 2018. It was an island creation project. And we dredged about 55,000 cubic yards of material and placed it to restore an eroded island that's located on Smith Island, which is right on the border between Maryland and Virginia, smack dab in the middle of the Chesapeake Bay. There's no real roads that connect the island to the mainland. There's a very small community that's out there that's highly culturally valuable um, with watermen and crabbing and fishing and just the Smith Island culture itself. If anybody's ever heard of Smith Island cakes, they come specifically from there. So there was a lot of interest both for the cultural aspect, the island itself that had been eroding was directly in front of one of the very small towns that's on Smith Island. So it was a lot of wave energy was going up onto the town of Yule itself. So if we were able to do this restoration, then there would be the cultural and social impacts uh, and advantages. There would be the wave attenuate, the wave storm surge protection of the town itself. And we would be restoring habitat to be able to restore wetlands, high marsh and low marsh and a dune system in that area. While we were in the design process, we reached out to NOAA and started discussing with them about doing some sort of research on how the site would actually be performing. Um, that then ended up growing beautifully into a conversation with, uh, aside from NOAA, with the Maryland Department of Natural Resources and U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service that owns Swan Island. Uh, they own the property that's there. And they also met up with the Engineering Research and Design Center with ERDIC to be able to bring everyone together to do this great research on a lot of the elevation and the vegetation biomass coverage of the island itself over the past three years since the island has been there and the dredging and planting has been completed. We want to be able to build and a model out of this information that we get to be able to see how the island actually works at distributing uh, waves and being able to provide that protection to the town of Yule. Each of the different organizations and agencies has set up their own type of monitoring, be it for submerged aquatic vegetation 
or for uh, vegetation biomass or for elevation and wave heights as well to be able to look at how the island is actually working now that we place the material there and is it doing what we intended to do. So being able to create this model for future use across the core or anybody that would need it to be able to help future island creation. That sounds super exciting. And I love, again, I love hearing examples of this and letting our listeners hear about these really cool studies and um, opportunities that you, we have with the core. And now switching gears a little bit, this question is for Todd. So the Biden administration has several priorities, including climate change. I know earlier you guys mentioned climate change, resilience, engineering with nature kind of fits right, dovetails right into that. So Todd, how does engineering with nature connect to that administration priority or any other um, priorities that you see? And how do you think engineering with nature will look like in the future? Yeah, that's a great question. I've been through several administrations in my 29 years. And to be honest with you, I think engineering fits in with all of them. And in this sense, I'm, tr I'm trying to make the point that it's just not currently vogue. And I'll put it in these terms that we've already introduced that I think sustainable infrastructure, infrastructure that endures and lasts and produces a whole range of benefits, everybody should be for that. And I think everybody is really for that. But as you point out, the president and, and the administration have identified priorities, including the executive order on tackling the climate crisis at home and abroad, which specifically calls out what we would call you know, nature-based solutions as a part of the prescription that's called for for addressing the climate crisis. You know, and in fact, calls out the whole idea of sustainable infrastructure and what that looks like and how to leverage natural systems for purposes of carbon sequestration, but also for purposes of creating resilience, as Julie already mentioned, you know, and environmental justice and equity, which have already been mentioned as well. How do we provide infrastructure that provides value for all? When I mentioned this, I, I can't help but think of Frederick Law Olmsted the great landscape architect uh, who in the 19th century designed with his team Central Park. And Olmsted engaged specifically with physicians and healthcare professionals in the city to engage, you know, basically the city's poor to come to the park because Olmsted was persuaded that getting people in that environment in poverty in the city in the 19th century, getting them to a natural area would be healthy for them. It would be supporting their well-being. So these ideas of you know, nature supporting what humans need has been around for a long time. But even beyond the administration, over the last several years, Congress has been ramping up its direction to the core through WERDA legislation on what we call nature-based approaches or natural nature-based features, a whole range of provisions within the last several words. In 2021, Congress added a new budget line to the Corps program called Engineering with Nature and funded it at $12.5 million, which is a significant a statement of investment, I think, in this topic to help us as an agency implement these kinds of practices across our organization. This summer, the Senate's Committee on Environment and Public Works, which 
is the oversight committee for the Corps of Engineers, writes WERDA. They had an entire hearing on the subject of nature-based approaches on the 24th of June, and I testified as the government witness at that hearing. So that's a very significant statement of importance that you know Congress is showing not just interest, but very serious consideration of, and I would say support for what we're achieving through the use of nature. Um, but we could also point to states. Uh, Governor Newsom in 2020 signed an executive order in 82-20 that specifically calls out nature-based solutions by name and leveraging nature to create climate resilience in the state of California. We've mentioned flood examples here, but we also have on the other end of the spectrum in California, wildfire and drought, very significant and costly natural hazards. California also has flooding problems as well. So they have the full gamut out there to deal with. And the state of California is specifically pursuing these kind of opportunities. And we have actually a collaboration underway with this California Department of Water Resources, specifically on the topic of engineering with nature. They wanna find ways in which they can apply these kinds of approaches uh, within the program. And we're excited about what we're doing together with them. And then finally, just putting it in a bit of international context, there's a very significant about amount of momentum internationally on the use of nature-based approaches generally, uh, looking at several different programs within the United Nations, the World Bank, governments in other countries, including you know the Rijkswaterstaat in the Netherlands, a major partner of the Corps, collaborated with the Corps, the Environment Agency in the UK, and a whole range of other countries that came together to help develop the international guidelines on natural nature-based features for flood risk management, which we recently published. This was a core-led project over the last five years, and we published those guidelines in an international launch event on the 16th of September. So there, there are many ways that and, and examples that we could point to to show that there is this interest, fundamental interest and desire to incorporate nature into how we pursue infrastructure. Thank you for that. Um, we're nearing the end of our time together. Before we go, I know you all have done some great outreach and communication with your engineering with nature efforts. So can you tell us a little bit about um, where people can go to learn more about engineering with nature? Yes, we have a website, actually put quite a bit of time and effort into that as a as a hub for people resources it's engineeringwithnature.org it's pretty easy to remember and uh, we would invite people to go there they can give us feedback actually uh, through the website if they'd like to see something else or they're having trouble finding something or locating there are lots of videos and documents and fact sheets and you can access the Engineering with Nature podcast. We just started our third season. We have over 20 episodes. You can access through the website or you can also sign up and subscribe on Apple or wherever you like to subscribe to your, your podcast. And that's been a tremendous asset for us. I've thoroughly enjoyed the conversations we've had in our podcast, learning from others and engaging them in conversation about what they're doing, why the World Bank and why other organizations are making investments in nature-based solutions and how we can work and partner together. 
And, and as we were talking, you know, today, you know, to move our culture within our own organization and to move our partnerships forward with our stakeholders and our partners, we have to communicate, we have to share, we have to leverage our own network and the network of others to share best practice uh, so that we can move forward together, so we can advance and progress. And that's why we've been putting such an emphasis on communications, because it really is the key uh, to, to success. Well, we appreciate all of you being with us today to let you know that we're always here if you want to reach out to our network and share your, your lessons learned with a broader audience. So thanks again, Todd, Julie, and Danielle for joining us today for this edition of Inside the Castle. We appreciate you and your insights. To our listeners, we want to hear from you. What topics are important to you and what people would you be interested in hearing from? Until next time, be safe, be in. To provide your feedback, email us at cw.infrastructure.team at usace.army.mil. Stay tuned for additional Inside the Castle podcasts as we explore life inside the core and revolutionize civil works together.